Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be talking about the movie Mind Cage with director Mauro Borelli. And I wanted to start by talking about your collaborative relationship with the screenwriter, Reggie Kiyohara, because the two of you have collaborated on, on multiple projects in the past, and, and this is him writing the script and you directing it. And so how did the fact that you've worked with him and collaborated with him so closely before as a director and as a writer um, influence the way that you started to think about how you wanted to tell the story on screen as a filmmaker? Yes. Uh, yes, exactly. We work on a few projects before and we also have some other project in development uh, that we have been working and likely will be you know, maybe in the future we will do those. Um, so, but this started with um, with an idea of um, um, aiming to a, a detective story because the genre is very commercial, so maybe maybe very viable for a large audience. And um, I've been always fascinated with um, um, film noir or Hitchcock, or even uh, David Fincher 7, you know, I really like the uh, tone. And uh, there was a movie in the past, years ago called The Year of the Dragon that I really liked um, with Michael, Michael Cimino did with Mickey Rourke. Um, and so that was an element uh, that we start with. And the second one was uh, my fine art background. I want to find an opportunity to use some of the um, my my background, you know, and uh, which I'm familiar with, which is art and painting, and then the supernatural element because uh, um, I can't resist to put a little of a fantastic element into even a, 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 an action film. You know, I have to do that. Um, that's why I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of Guillermo del Toro. You know, when he did a pan labyrinth, there's always a little bit of fantastic on his work and. And, um, and so we start with those three elements and um, we come out with the idea, what if there is a serial killer that is also a painter and and uh, is obsessed with his painting and maybe he's committing crime uh, through painting, you know? Um, uh, there was a story years ago that I had that I, I kind of abandoned, but it was an inspiration for this one. It was basically a story of um, uh, a painting, a 16... 15th century painting, like a Bosch, let's say, the frame in a certain way, it was opening a portal to hell. And then I, and then I thought, God, I want to make that movie. I want to have a, you know, what if a hell, the door, the gate to hell is a painting. And that idea was in my head and kind of recycled this. And then it became obviously a completely different, different movie. But um, those are the inspiration. So the way we work together is that um, we work on the premise a lot and we try to um, verbally uh, make the story. So we, I, I try not to write anything until I have a pitch because uh, as soon as I put something on writing, I get, I get in love for, or I get stuck with that. So but the Latin, they say verba volant, you know, like the word fly. So you can change all the time because you're not locked into that. So we start with the pitch and trying to make the story verbally. You know, um, and then we put down an outline, and of course we work with uh, all the structural rules that you know we have now in these days. You know, um, and then um, uh, Reggie come out with the first draft after we, from an outline, and then uh, I make my notes, and then we go back and forth, back and forth, and you know, and so finally, 
you know, and the movie that actually you saw has a lot of um, elements that are different from the script because contingent uh, um, reality sometimes force you to do changes, you know, uh, especially, you know, when, when the story was um, originated, uh, we were thinking something that take place in um, New York or Chicago or maybe Toronto, Montreal, something, a city where it often rains and with the, with the fog and with kind of uh, heavy clothes and, you know, that kind of uh, um, depressive uh, film noir uh, type of uh, environment. And then for logistic budgetary, and we end up to do in, uh, uh, in the Northwest Arkansas, and I'm like, oh, how can I make that movie? So instead to try to make that movie, I try to see what can I do in a place like that? And I, I, I look at the, the True Detective uh, series and I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is going to be the gothic, gothic, uh, warm, people sweating, mosquitoes in, you know, a different feeling, but maybe, maybe it's also good for a thriller of this type. So, you know, so you have to always to change something. Yeah. And, and you were talking there, bringing up your, your background in fine art and, and you studied in fine art and worked in that realm before even stepping over into working in film and in production design and as a concept illustrator. Um, and, and so through that in telling a story where your central character, one of the central characters is John Malkovich's character, the artist, you know, and we see how he sketches people, how he sculpts. And, and so art really plays a huge proponent in the visual telling of this story. How did all of that extensive background and experience that you have in the art world and in the art side of filmmaking um, shape the visual details of this film? Because they're so meticulous the same way that his character is so meticulous with detail. Well, uh, pretty, pretty close to some of my kind of background experience too, you know. Um, first of all, I see the, the great master, which I admire in painting. Uh, they were like 15th and 16th century and 17th century, mainly 16th century. And their work was um, religious uh, uh, um, iconography. And uh, and uh, and uh, through those uh, religious paintings, they were expressing the best of their skill and their art. And so, um, um, and I, that's what I was doing. I was like uh, working uh, as a kid. I was going to a monastery with a monk, learning about restoration, and uh, and painting actually in the actual churches. And um, and there is a sort of some horror element also in those religious paintings because sometimes you see crucifixion, decapitated people like Salome with the head of Batista, for example, some head chopped into a plate, you know. And and I remember um, as a kid going into a local church. I was like eight, you know, and a bunch of kids like running, and then we sneak into the church, and we all go to the end of the church, and there is. A, a chapel and there is a very dark painting of Jesus with the with the, the crown and uh, and we all sit there watching and it's almost dark you don't see it because the candle smoke right and at a certain point somebody say he move his eyes he move his eyes and we all run out and I feel like wow how creepy can be that you know and somehow I always got that in my in the back of my head it's like I want to make a painting where angels which are beautiful can also be scary and maybe maybe the audience that they don't have that European 
cultural background and you know but they probably will still sense some mysticism and some kind of weirdness in that you know so yes the painting has a, a, an influence and in fact i reunite with two now great uh, and famous artists in italy nicola berlato and roberto ferri which they did um, some of the painting that you see in, on a film and uh, which uh, I was working growing up as a kid and in the same studio and want to be painters. And then I came to Hollywood and ruined my life while they're still happy painter, you know. So, but we reunite on this film, you know, so they provide some of those paintings that you see. That's amazing. I, I love that detail of coming back together with them. And and in talking about building some of the, the suspense and the tension, you know, there's this, this real cat and mouse dynamic between Mary, which is Melissa Roxburgh's character and, and John Malkovich's character. And the way that you've used the camera, it feels like it comes closer to whichever character has the upper hand at certain moments. Um, and there's the added challenge of having them have all these conversations in a very confined space because John Malkovich's character is incarcerated. And yet the scenes still feel very dynamic in the way that you've allowed them and found different ways to move around a very limited space. And, and so how did you want to use the camera and the blocking of scenes to really create a lot of suspense and tension and different moments where it swings back and forth on who has the upper hand at any given moment. Right. Well, uh, first of all, I start with uh, designing that uh, prison cell because uh, if that cell was a real cell, it could have been impossible to do what we we wanted to do. So you have to be exaggerate bigger than than a real cell and, and had to have a space that you can move around. Um, so we built that, uh, um, I, I sketched that and then Nava, the art director was able to build that. And uh, we built on a, on a stage of a theater, actually. That, that set is inside a, a, a theater, you know? So I thought Malkovich, when Malkovich came, I thought he was happy to be on a stage while he was doing a movie, you know, cause he's a, he's a theater actor. Um, so that was designed also planning certain uh, movement because I know the risk was to make a claustrophobic film and I didn't want that. So we, we the whole wall of the cell around the cell are green. And if you see Malkovich is dressing with a, with a really dark, bloody red um, um, uniform. Uh, and she's like always on the green and gray and her background is red, the same color of the, it's almost like, all right, if the devil is Mike, is uh, is uh, is uh, Malkovich and is inside this kind of a greenish uh, prison, maybe she's the angel greenish one into the hell around her. So something that maybe subliminal will affect, but maybe you don't, it's not easy to notice. Um, and, and in terms of blocking, um, well, <clears throat> first of all, um, to, to, to make, to give the sense of danger um, I had to rely on the ability of John Malkovich of uh, being manipulative uh, because manipulation was the only way to make him uh, scary because uh, behind the cell, how can, what can you do, you know? So, but if you're manipulative and smart and anticipate her talk, talking or you jump into her talking in the right, the right way, um, you create some anxiety and some, uh, you know, you become like an opponent. Um, and the camera blocking and that was, um, we set up three or four different type of light. So 
during the story change. And so it doesn't feel like the same place. Um, and um, I like the idea that the camera moves as the actor moves. Now, we didn't succeed on that um, in doing that all the time because um, it will have required much more uh, time for shooting. But uh, when I when I had a chance, I like the camera move while the actor move and stop when the actor stop. So the audience start to connect the camera movement with the actor. So it's not the a subjective movement. It's not like some kind of third party watching around and spying around, but she's actually moving the camera. Uh, and and uh, and so when it was when that was possible, I was doing that. Um, you know, again, if I can do that all the time in a movie, I will do all the time, but it takes, you know, uh, really extra time. And and obviously one of the aspects of a film like this is making sure that the audience have just enough information to start pulling pieces together. And so that when they find out the answer to who has been committing all these crimes and these murders, that it makes sense in how it was pieced together and they feel like, you know, they, they really got this complete story, but also you never want to give too much because you don't want them to figure it out too early. Um, okay. And so how did you go into telling this film and, and finding that answer for yourself in every single scene of what details do we want to give them? What are some details that will make sense once they get to the resolution and how do we make sure we're never giving them too much? Well, sometime it, Sometimes you want to shoot more and then take it out on editing and make it make the judgment after because then if you need it you don't have it but if you have it you can take it out. Um, I know that Reggie more than me he likes the idea that people watch the movie two times and go to check and they say ah did you see that you know um, I'm not a big fan of that I think when you watch a movie that you consume it that's it you know what I mean but you know. Um, I know there's an audience that like to go back and figure it out. Uh, oh, there was a little clue there, you know, that we didn't see it, you know. Um, so we did disseminate um, several clues. And actually, the original screenplay was more articulated in that sense. There were more, there were more, uh, potent, more sense that the homeless guy was the killer, or maybe the doctor was the killer, or maybe this other guy was the killer. So everybody were potential uh, potential killers, you know, and we were putting clue all the time. And uh, at the end, some kind of, uh, they're being disregarded because it become too, you know, you, you lose the flow. Um, but yeah, um, I, I noticed that we have like maybe a couple of millions of view on the trailer already. And, um, and I've been just scrolling through some of the comments and everybody thinks they know the end of the movie they know and i think they would be surprised because i don't think anybody's guessing it they i can tell they the commune things you know lead them to think certain things but i think they will be a little surprised they would be a little surprised that they don't expect yeah i definitely didn't figure it out but i very often don't <laughs> And, you know, when when you're in that that location where 
it's kind of, you know, again, like that, that cat and mouse in a different situation, you know, Mary and Jake end up in this room that's full of plastic tarps and there's, you know, writing on the wall. And, you know, we see, we see in the trailer that there's images of Mary from her life. So she realizes that she's been watched and she's part of the game as well. How did you come up with the the design of what you wanted that space to look like? Because similar to the, the prison scenes, that's a space where you move the camera around a lot and really carry the audience into all the different corners of what she can see and when she can see it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that place was actually a real place. uh, The mall uh, condemned, basically, that was under a courthouse in Fayetteville. And uh, the courthouse actually was used to do the police station. When you see the beautiful police station with a beautiful fresco, that's actually a courthouse. So we built an office inside and dress up. And then I, I check the basement and I see all this, you know, we just had the tarps, obviously. And then, and, um, and um, when we, we shot on the location with the actors, we were limited to basically to do the action and the performance. Um, the, uh, and we had to skip all the preparation, you know, what the killer does with the little, when he built the wings and when he does all the details. So I kind of uh, end up not to have those uh, when we shot there. Uh, and I was really regretting that we didn't have the time to do it. And I'm like, it was torture. So my house actually has a very nice basement. <laughs> and uh, that is a walking basement, which is very rare in Los Angeles. And so I kind of re- rebuilt in my basement the, the tarps and the things, and I had a, I I did the wings there, you know, and I did all the detail. So sometimes a movie can be, sometimes detail, you know, like uh, uh, there were like a Visconti, an Italian director that was really say that the movie value is in the detail. Um, and so I thought it was important to go from big to the very small. So with my DP friend that we came here and we, in my basement, and we did all these little tiny things that happen in the basement, which actually, I think I end up with, a lot of those are in the trailer. So, I mean, there was a good choice. Amazing. And, and you mentioned before that, that there was a risk that you could have ended up telling the story in a way that felt very claustrophobic. And so how did you find a way to tell this story that builds all of the suspense and builds all of the tension that you need for, for this sort of thriller and this sort of drama without it ever feeling too claustrophobic for the audience? Well, uh, like I say, changing light, for example, and having something a second level always, you know, when you have a prison bar and then you have something on the back and there's something else in the back, that help a little bit. And uh, also using wide lenses. So you get a little bit more breathing. I'm not a big fan of uh, the, 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 they used to call those TV shots, not anymore because TV now is amazing. It's like cinema, but, you know, I didn't want to be uh, on a close up too much. You know, I want to have space. And that helps a little bit. And uh, and um, intercutting those things with some exterior also helps, you know. Sometimes you just, you know, I went to Chicago and, uh, and also in Los Angeles and uh, I, with my friend there, we did some drone view and just sometimes inserting a, a view of city from above just to give you like, that little moment of, you know, you relax your mind, you know. Yeah. 
And there's there's scenes and moments where we step outside of of the narrative of Mary trying to solve this crime. And, you know, there's different moments where we see some of we see the killer in motion. So we see little little elements and little parts of of how they're setting everything up. Um, You know, there's a couple of flashback sequences with John Malkovich's character to his childhood, to his younger years. There's a moment one of my favorite parts there. (laughs) <laughs> I love that, you know, and even even seeing one of Mary's dreams. And so how did you want to use those scenes as well, those sorts of scenes as well to really take us outside of the linear narrative of Mary trying to solve the crime and, and add different types of visual elements as well? Well, I thought, you know, like many, many filmmakers, they're resistant to flashback. They think is, uh, you know, like in the 70s when you do use the Zoom, you know what I mean? Uh, I think... Uh, they're good tools, you know, because they, they open a window in the mind of a character. And uh, if I can see, if I can see what, how John, you know, if I, if I being, if I can create some empathy for John Malkovich showing the reason why he's doing what he does, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and see why he likes the painting and why, you know, again, if you want to be, learn how to do to be a good painter uh and you want to use the academic teaching you go to leonardo raffaello tiziano those and what did they paint they paint a religious image so i think he was obsessed with the painting but because he has to paint religious images religious start to go into his head almost like he couldn't distinguish anymore from the painting and religion and then he started to create an excuse for feeling special or gifted and and he and he took the wrong way you know he took the wrong direction yeah I also wanted to ask about your collaboration with the cast in the film as well because um I believe you also studied acting at one point in addition to everything else that you've become such a master of over the years um and so how has studying the craft of acting influenced the way that you tend to work with actors and you know particularly when you have a cast like this on the film and you're working with someone like John Malkovich who comes with so much experience uh, my 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 experience is a uh bigger star and better actors, easier to work with them. <laughs> the, the hardest ones are the, the most amateurish, you know, you know, but the, the good one, because they went through so many, so many things, you know, like John was such of a kind, humble professionist, you know, that was fantastic. No, my 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 acting, I was you know, I, I, I was in San Francisco for a few years working for Zoetrop, working with Mr. Francis Coppola. And, um, and he told me, Mauro, if you, you know, think about what I direct, maybe you should uh, know what the, what an actor feels, what an actor goes through, you know, say, so, there is a good, good school here, it's called Jimmy Shelton, you know, it's in San Francisco. So I said, why don't you take some classes there? So I went for a year there. They were doing um, Stanislavski method, uh, which is the base of a method acting, basically, uh, and uh, theater oriented. So you had to do all this exercise, the mirror, you know, the animal, you know, and all that. But I thought like, wow, that's very interesting. Uh, if one day I had to talk with uh, an actor, maybe I know a little bit of what they do when they go to a class, because everybody went to some class first of all, yeah. 
That's wonderful. And, and when you were editing the film, you know, you, you were talking about the post-production a little bit before, um, what, what were some of the scenes that were a little bit more challenging to find the dynamic of, or to find the specific pacing of how you wanted to intercut between different camera angles and, and different takes? Well, sometimes the, the painful part on editing is when you don't have enough footage. Because uh, more footage you have, and more you can uh, tell the story from the different in a different way. When you are limited to only few shots and few performances, you feel little, you, that's where you suffer a little bit, and, you reg- and then that's the, the regret comes. Oh, anyway, but there was a part in the central part, one of the central part of the film, where because some contingent situation that we we had to deal with. Uh, um, uh, we had to break down the whole sequence in three different scenes instead to be one big place. And so connecting all those story pieces, you know, um, we go from a, a bookstore to a conference uh, with a book signing, and then we go to a museum. Before it was all into, in the screenplay, that was a paranormal um it was a library specialized in 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 exorcism, paranormal, voodoo. It was a what do you call those li- library the bookstore where uh, psych psych psychic bookstore where they have all this uh, weirdness, uh, right? So there was this place, and Martin Lawrence um, in the script was uh, even more than what you see in the film was obsessed with. Uh, looking for answer into the metaphysic, into the world of uh, metaphysic and paranormal. And he didn't want anybody to know because he didn't want people making fun of him. But he had this secret life where he goes and explores the paranormal. So he goes to this club and this bookstore um, where they're all like him. You know, they do meeting with exorcism, they do voodoo, they do that. And at a certain point, he decided to bring um, um, Melissa to see what he what is what is learning, you know. And Melissa is completely the opposite of him. She's not a believer. He's a believer because what he what he went through with the, the first arrest of the artist. So his mind was like looking for answer. And she's a, a non-believer. So he bring her to his world, and that's where they have like a a big fracture. So that whole part was condensed into a very organic location and that we couldn't find. And then we end up to separate the location, three different people. So that's something that if I go back, I will redo it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really enjoyed the experience of watching the film. So congratulations on everything with it. And thank you so much. So appreciate hearing all these wonderful details about it today. Thank you so much. Thank you.